So I think last time was our 50th episode and we had talked about the best episodes we'd watch for the show or for the, yeah. for the podcast. Uh, but I wanted to kind of, I guess, circle back around, you know, for this time and talk about what do you think are the three best episodes of the podcast in terms of like our our conversations and stuff like if you know if you were if you were trying to like if you were telling someone oh who Uh, might be interested like what would you go back and check out so so this might be the time for me to make a sort of guilty confession that i don't actually listen to our podcast um (laughs) that's i think that's common among podcast people other than like the the half of or formerly half of the episodes that that i edit so yeah um so I can only really speak as far as completed episodes go to to half of them, but I would say I think one of my favorites that we did was actually the episode we did with Caitlin and Nicole from That's Not How Science Works. Oh, that was fun, uh, which mm-hmm. was the discovery episode. But that one was just I feel like we had a lot of fun, both just because they're terrific and everyone should go listen to their show as well. But um, but just the that one I, th- I feel like had a real fun dynamic of you having been the only one who had seen any discovery at all and mm-hmm. the other three of us really trying hard to make sense of what was going on in the like season finale of, of, of Discovery Season 1. Yeah, that was uh, Will You um, Take My Hand? Is yeah. That was what it's called. Yeah. I do ironically feel like some of the worse episodes of actual star trek have led to some of the most fun at least for my part i think that we've had in the podcast like i think 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 actually our uh two days and two nights the the enterprise episode where they go to risa i think we had a very fun like we had a lot of fun mostly just mocking that episode but i I think our episode of the podcast for that one was a lot of fun Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm And I think anytime we've gotten to do a an original series or or the or animated series episode, we've we've had a lot of fun. Like I think our I think our Omega Glory episode was was really good. Uh, or even our our episode of uh, I think it's just called Court Martial, the one where our first our first original series. Yeah, episode, the yeah. one where Kirk gets accused of um, shooting his his like old rival out of an airlock. Yeah. Um. And and has and like has because it's a it's a uh, it's like a star trek like space court episode but he has that's the one where he has a lawyer that just has a room full of like books yeah um i feel like we had fun with that one too yeah that's some good anachronistic stuff in there yeah i i um i agree i think that a lot of our our uh the, the bad episodes can ha- lead to some interesting discussion because there's a lot of kind of like critiquing, you know, thoughtful critique stuff. I think probably my favorite like episode we've done of an episode that we didn't like very much was probably, um, what's that episode even called? The one with uh, Barclay in it. Um, oh, the, the, the Voyager one. Uh, Pathfinder, I think is what it's called. Okay, yeah, Maybe. yeah. And just kind of like really being frustrated with like how that episode almost gets there. And then like at the at the end takes this hard swerve into like a very bad place, you know, which is true. I think of a lot of Voyager episodes that uh, <laughs> they kind of try to teach you the wrong lesson. Yeah. And you're just kind of like, well, I, I guess they tried. Um, <laughs> on, on the flip side, I think that like our Death Wish episode is really good, which is, that's a Voyager episode that, that was we did like a lot, that we kind yeah. of got into a lot of that kind of like Q stuff, but also like what that's representing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I, I like, I, I think our Magics of Megas 2 episode, our, our animated series episode, where we liked that yeah. episode a lot, but also that, that episode is just kind of nuts. Um, it really is. Uh, and that was a really fun that discussion. That was fun. So. Yeah, I. Uh, I hope we get more. Too, I hope we get more animated series. Um, I, I yep. feel like that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Burr, 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 burr. 
Hi everybody and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two guys who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And today we are talking about an episode of Voyager. We are talking about Voyager uh, Season 6, Episode 26, Unimatrix Zero Part 1. This is the uh, finale of of the penultimate uh, season of Voyager. Right, which pulls that always awkward thing where you have a, a multi-part episode that also includes a number in its name. Yeah. So it's <laughs> Unimatrix Zero One. Yes. Followed by Unimatrix Zero Two. And this is um, this this episode was uh, directed by Alan Croker and it was uh, written by Brandon Braga, Joe Manonsky, and Mike Sussman. Uh, and the Memory Alpha synopsis is: Seven is drawn into a virtual reality that some Borg drones inhabit during their regeneration cycles, a threat to the Borg collective that Janeway wants to exploit. So yeah, this is another. We've done a couple of these now. Uh, these kind of Borg heavy episodes of voyager and yeah. i i will say so you know you you've seen me kind of uh over the course of the show sort of convert into a a ds9 fan i really like, have I, yeah I, I i texted you the other day and i said i might i might like ds9 more than any other star trek maybe um i don't know if i don't know it's 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 tough but i really do like it a lot and i remember when we first started watching this you know, we started started the show and we started watching Voyager show episodes, which I had never seen before. I was kind of like, I don't understand like why people don't like the show. It, it seems really good, actually. And I'll say recently that even though I still like a lot of the characters, and I like a lot of the episodes we've done that as we've kind of been watching more of them, I've kind of starting to see what everybody is saying about Voyager. <laughs> and I, I don't think I've never felt that more than watching this episode that we watched today. Yeah, I think I think. I think this is a, and I ha- I haven't read much about it since like back when I was watching Voyager, but I think this is kind of considered one of the kind of quintessential, this is the problem with Voyager type of episodes. This is the worst episode of Voyager we've done for the show, probably, right? Maybe not. I mean, that uh, the Barclay episode is bad in a different way. Yeah, it might be though. Um, but yeah, because it's, they, they kind of, as it, as the series went on and on, like later and later, they got real heavy into this Borg stuff and it became almost like a, a Borg show when, which is, I feel just kind of a real departure from early in the show where the whole point of it is that they were in a part of space that no one had ever been to before from Starfleet. And so it was all like kind of new and unfamiliar and you got to tell new stories and do new things with that. And then they were just like, you know what people like? People are really into the Borg and we need to improve our ratings. So we'll just keep putting the Borg in. Mm-hmm. And this this one especially, I feel like is very much a, I think my takeaway watching it now is that it was very much a show made to have shots and clips that they could put in the like the, t- the commercial TV commercials yeah they're like you know in the thrilling season finale of star trek voyager this week like and you have all these shots of like seven with no implants or like janeway is assimilated just like picard was assimilated in best of both worlds which everybody really liked or yeah also tuvok was assimilated and torres was assimilated the Borg Queen. She right. was in first contact. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the thing is, though, is that I don't think it's bad to have the Borg in the show because I think it actually it totally makes sense with what we know about the Borg and what we know about Star Trek because the first time we ever see the Borg, they are is basically I think they're in basically the area where uh, where Voyager is. 
Yeah, I think they do. I, I think it is canon that they do originate from the Delta Quadrant, or they're like most densely like existing there. Yeah, because the, the first thing you ever see them is in I think a season two episode of of uh, season one or season two episode of TNG when Q is screwing around with the Enterprise and he zaps them like far away to yeah that to the delta quadrant and there that's what they that's where they first meet the borg and you find and that's also you find out like you know they the borg had like long ago like taken over Guinan's planet and stuff like that and so i think it's totally fine to do this but my issue with it which is also the issue that i've had with other episodes borg episodes we've done for the show especially i'm thinking of the um i don't remember what it's called but like the kind the of other the, one the, with the queen in it yeah, the, which with like the two part, I think Dark Frontier is what it's called, but it's the, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's like a combined two parter. It's like a TV movie basically. It's just that this show doesn't, and I wrote this down in my notes this time, is that this show doesn't add anything to the Borg that I think is a good idea. It just kind of like leans into all these concepts that I think make the Borg kind of worse and strip away. Like, I think that in the original, like in their incarnation that you see them in TNG, they're so good because they are so like simple and uh, elemental, you know? Yeah. They can't be reasoned with. They just exist and they have one function and they're, you can't, you can't like do anything about it. You know, I'm sure. Yeah. And they're like terrifying for that reason. Like I feel like you like I feel like at the end of Best of Both Worlds you're still scared like you know they I think you know Earth was attacked by like one Borg cube that almost destroyed all of Starfleet and we like managed to fight it off but you kind of get no sense that like we showed the Borg a lesson and they won't try that again because right. they are so like the you know they have no reason not to just continue to slowly like eventually they will be back yeah, and you know, and with with even like the episode with Hugh is it's like kind of all about how like even disconnected from the the mind, like he still is kind of it's very hard to like break through to him and and, and that kind of a thing. Yeah. And and I think that like when the show is when this show is working, like I think I think that like the seven stuff in not this episode in particular, but just in general, that that kind of taps into like the more interesting parts of Borg mythology for me, like the idea of like a recovering Borg. But then Yeah, that she like used to be that and like still doesn't yeah, kind of find some comfort in having had that like order and that and is very scared by the world no longer being a Borg. Yeah. And then but then the the rest of it though, just in this episode in particular, just just does nothing for me. And I say it just yeah. it feels like it kind of like demystifies them and kind of like defangs them a little bit because they become more kind of like typical alien antagonists in a way that I don't think it really suits them. But we can talk about that as we go on. So why don't, yeah. why don't you take us into the what happens? In yeah, well, I feel like the, the opening scene is kind of the sort of the perfect example of that because it starts out with the Borg Queen. Like we open not on Voyager, but on a Borg ship and the Borg Queen is like sitting in her chamber and calls in a drone and starts like torturing and interrogating him to find out, you know, he try he's asking like where she's asking him kind of where this Unimatrix Zero is and what it is and he can't tell her and so she tells her the other Borgs that are there to kind of take him away and you know cut his head off and take it the information like out of his cortical implant Mm -hmm. which like I feel like right off the bat you're just like you said it's just kind of a typical like TV or movie villain type of behavior that you're seeing in in something that like they like she's 
talking out loud to other Borgs when like this should all be kind of given how we understand the Borg and they're all just this connected hive mind, this should all be just kind of electronic impulses passing back and forth. Like there's no reason for her to be talking and like sneering villainously. And and really like the whole premise of the episode I think is, is rotten because the Borg shouldn't have individuality at all anyway like 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 that's what is interesting about them is that is that they don't and so for the whole episode to be actually they do secretly but only when they're asleep and they go into a mind palace it's just like none of it is good yeah but the board king in particular i think is is just it totally goes against like what was cool about them you know and you you look at and especially because I, th- I think that the implication in, I, and I've read a little bit on Memory Alpha, you know, you could take it either way because they make the Borg Queen in this look pretty similar to the Borg Queen in um, First Contact. But I think the implication is that they're supposed to be two different people. And and so, like, there are multiple extant Borg Queens at once. And so it's like, what, well, what is the even, what are they then? Like, like and, and if it's just like, if the person, yeah. if just like, oh, it's just like an emotional because you get the sense, even in first contact, I feel like you get the sense that it's sort of a, the next step from like the whole point of Picard being like Locutus of Borg is they needed some like they used him as a way to communicate with humans by like putting mm. a human face, like their voice coming out through a face they recognize. And I think even in first contact, what's presented at the, as the Borg queen is really more of just a kind of a voice or a proxy. I haven't seen first contact in a long time, so I may be misremembering, but. Well, I saw it like a year ago, and I think it just works better in that movie, partially because she is still kind of has a flair for the dramatic to a degree, but it seems more of like a put on to me in the, in the sense that like it almost seems like she's trying to do something, especially when she's talking to Data, where it seems like she's trying to seduce Data, where like this is like I'm, I'm going to put on my my human talk to try to communicate with these people to our to research has shown that me. this is what humans respond to. Yeah. Yeah. And and that it's very much kind of a like, she is representative of the Borg collective as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sort of in Dark Frontier, but then even more in this one, because in this one, she's not even doing it around, she's doing it only around other Borg, but right. is still acting like a like dramatic movie villain for, for the yeah. benefit of no one, but like no one's watching. Yeah, it's no good. Except it's no us. Good. And- and here's the thing is that we've already talked so much about this. We've already, it's been going on, on our own clock right now for 18 minutes. <laughs> I mean, obviously we didn't talk the whole time about that, but, but then that's not even the worst part of this episode though. Uh, so I could continue. Sorry. I, yeah, try to... that's not, I don't even think the credits have rolled yet. Um, <laughs> no, no. I, I think we're still pre in the Star open, Trek yeah. Voyager. Yeah. So, so the kind of the main conceit of this episode starts out, with seven of nine starts having these dreams or what she thinks are dreams where she's in this sort of outdoor green place and uh, there are other people there that as she talks to them she finds out that they are they are uh, other borg and they are borg that are still in the collective and whenever these borg wake up they have no memory of what happens in this place i guess this it's really poorly explained because yeah. they it also seems like they do go there voluntarily. So if they don't remember, yeah, but then they like come back the next time they they 
regenerate, which is kind of the Borg equivalent of of sleeping. Like they go and they shut down their systems and let them regenerate. And mm-hmm. while they're there, and it's only s- some Borg that have s- some sort of like variation or malfunction. And this is what the Borg Queen is trying to sort of eliminate. She's trying to find out where in the like computer network this Unimatrix exists and delete it. Mm-hmm. Because she's afraid she doesn't like her individuality, or she's afraid that they're going to stage a coup or something. I don't know. It's not super yeah, well defined. Uh, yeah. Also, just I wanted to note, I, we've seen this before in, in some of these when, when like Seven is regenerating, but for whatever reason, it struck me this time. I wrote to myself that like it's cool that there's like a thing from Spencer's gifts above above every Borg pod, you know, like one of <laughs> like like one of those like lightning clock things. You know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about? Yeah, it just it just it's so clearly just like a thing you would get at a Hot Topic in like 1999. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, that just kind of is like above their head, like making little flashing lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so she kind of learns that this is basically that back when she was a Borg, she was one of the ones that would come to this Unimatrix and had, you know, these friendships and it turns out like a romantic relationship with one of these Borg that are there. And she, so as she's learning about this, she talks with the crew of Voyager about it and, uh, they decide that Janeway decides that she wants to go there herself and kind of experience it and learn about it because like seven comes because the, what the, I think, what's his name? Axum? Oh yeah. What's the guy's name? Yeah. Uh, Yes. Axum is, so he's an alien that's been assimilated by the Borg that uh, used to have a relationship with seven when she was a Borg and was in this Unimatrix. And he, I think he, did he, intentionally bring her back there or did she just start coming back there I, f- I don't remember but essentially what he tells her is that you know the borg queen has found out that this that unimatrix zero exists and is tracking down all of the borg that are in it and killing them and also trying to like put together through by taking off their heads and their implants kind of find where in the network this is so that she can shut it down and so you know he asks seven for her help and so that's why she comes to the captain and says you know these are people like me that are in danger and we have to help them and i found it really interesting that seven comes with a like entirely just wanting help like rescuing people and Mm -hmm. janeway immediately just sees it as like a possible sort of tactical weak point of the borg she's like well if we can get into this then maybe we can use it to like plant some sort of sort of descent or virus or something to kind of take down the borg from the inside yeah whereas seven is actually the one who who kind of like approaches it from a more traditional starfleety you know we respond we we respond to distress calls you know yeah, because when she first brings it up, everyone's like, no, no, this is too dangerous. We're not going to go like looking for Borg problems right now. And she says, you know, I was asked for help by a group of people. Like, how is that different from any other distress call that we respond to? Like, aren't we supposed to help those that are in danger? Mm-hmm. And so what Janeway decides to do is she says she wants to go see Unimatrix Zero for herself. And so they basically use Tuvok to mind meld with both of them at once so that then he calls it a bridging of minds so that Janeway can enter essentially enter seven of nines dreams. Yeah. Which is uh, troublesome. This is, this is not <laughs> general, generally not a good storytelling sign. I would say like, <laughs> you know, with, with the exception of like inception, you know, the, right. Which is like what that is about. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
also my thing was why doesn't wouldn't it be easier to just send Tuvok right like if he's like the you know like one of the most senior like trusted members of the like he's a security chief yeah like clearly capable of like going and getting whatever information you need Mm -hmm. and also like could just do one mind meld instead of because they play up like how kind of potentially dangerous this is and how stressful it's going to be for him it's just like well wouldn't it be easier to just have him mind meld with her and go himself i don't know yeah um and so they go there and they kind of just find out what's going on and looking around and then meanwhile the borg queen is has been decapitating people and trying to figure out where the Inmatrix Zero is, which I would say is yeah. definitely like my favorite shot of the episode is like a close-up of this guy's grody cut-off head where I was like, you know, this is pretty gross for a Star Trek. For, and I'm, like I'm Star into Trek it. TV, like, yeah. yeah. So I, I enjoy a good gross episode of Star Trek. Yeah. Apparently one of the, I was reading through like a little bit in the kind of, you know, trivia and stuff in the memory alpha article apparently one of those heads they used the brent spiner head from whichever episode of uh tng where they find like an old data head like a data head from the future or whatever yeah from time zero yeah i remember that i remember i i read read that as well yeah yeah that's fun but uh yeah so she she uses kind of what she's learned from these heads to sort of not find out enough to shut down Unimatrix Zero, but she's able to send it. <laughs> I, the more you think about it, the it's stupider nothing. it gets. It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> she it's sends like... Borg drones into Unimatrix Zero where they start trying to kill people. What? Don't they like actually try to like assimilate them in the? They try, yeah, uh, yeah. I think they do. I think they like shoot the the like little tentacles with nanoprobes or whatever. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, what are nanoprobes in a dream? Like, it's it's yeah. it's it's some real like of things that are already bored. You die in real life. Uh, Yeah, it's so bad. And so then there's one of the uh, one of the drones used to be a Klingon, and so he like has a batleth and starts fighting off these drones and sort of like clumsily smacks one of them with the batleth and it falls down and disappears out of the Unimatrix. Yeah. And then I think that's the same scene. Then Janeway picks up a Batleth and like goes at a drone. This drove me nuts. Okay, because <laughs> originally when you first, when they first get there, I was like, oh, this is like kind of interesting that like none of them are wearing like their board clothes. So they're all, they're all, um, it's kind of like yeah. the Matrix where it's like everyone is, is basically projecting like their self You can be whoever you want to be. Yeah. Their self-actualized versus like basically like how they see themselves. Yeah. And I will say I, I am all for, like I, you know, I feel the same way with, uh, with Brent Spiner and with Leonard Nimoy that I do, that with Jerry Ryan, of i feel like these are all people who are talented actors that it's enjoyable to see them get to show like a little bit of a different side than you know they they have they spend most of their time playing a very tight characterization Mm -hmm. and to see them get to show someone that's a little more expressive or um kind of demonstrates a little more range of emotions like i enjoyed getting to see that from jerry ryan yeah but um, that's not that's not what i'm even talking about though i I, i'm I'm saying like you know they so they all have like their self-actualized things and so like she's got her headpiece on still but then like 
the Klingon, he's just wearing Klingon clothes and he's got a batleth. It's like, okay, well, he self-actualizes himself with a batleth. But, that, but then you're right. Like, then he starts fighting with it. And then, like, later, I think, I think he, he gets like, knocked out he, or he gets assimilated or something. He gives it to either Seven or Janeway. I can't remember. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. I in think they, the context they, of. Don't at some point the they show. just start handing out batleths to, like, arm the populace? And it's like, what? what is, like, like literally, what is this? Like, what do you, what does this mean when you're handing someone a batleth in a dream that belonged to someone else? Like, it, yeah. it's it's just, it's totally uh, meaningless. And then, yeah, and then, like, attacking a, a Borg drone with, yeah, with it. it. We shouldn't, we shouldn't dwell too much on this. We shouldn't. Just, this episode doesn't make sense. Yeah. Basically, they kind of say that, like, they're going to kind of do a, I believe, like, a kind of a joint, a joint kind of attack where where essentially like some of them are going to go into Unimatrix Zero and and then some and then seven, right, is going to go onto the is going to go onto the the Borg ship. And, and so they're going and, and ultimately they're trying they're trying to kind of like upload a virus into the Borg's like matrix that will that will kind of screw up what is you know because you screw up yeah. like the borg and like cause them to and i think and, the the main thing it'll do is it will allow the borg that are in unimatrix zero once they wake up they will actually remember instead because so far while the, they only are aware of unimatrix zero while they're regenerating and then when they wake up they have no memory of it they're just like any other borg with no individuality mm-hmm. and i think the virus would take advantage of whatever variation is in those specific borg that when they woke up they would keep their individuality and get to sort of be kind of double agents that would be able to start working against the Borg from the inside and sort of start this this sort of undercover rebellion within or underground rebellion within the Borg collective. Mm-hmm. And and the Queen is kind of actually feels threatened by, you know, she knows they're up to something, right? And so she actually yeah. says, hey, this is, you know, I feel like the, the show is constantly, one of the things I like about the show is that it feels like it's always kind of like offering, basically say, saying to Janeway, hey, Janeway, you could get home faster if you made a deal with the devil, you know, like, and so. Yeah. They're. There's a scene where where the queen is like, "Hey, we'll give you transwarp technology," which again is my favorite fake technology in a new Star Trek. I think <laughs> because, it's like, what if what if what if really fast but faster? You know, right. Um, we'll, we'll give we, you. That. We've established warp, but now we need more than that. So transwarp is essentially the like Star Trek version of of turning the amp up to eleven. Yeah. I feel. So. So we'll give you transwarp if you leave us alone. And then Janeway's basically says, "Well, no, we need to. We got to do our, our. You know, I, I, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, but she's, she's like, we got to do our, our. You know, we, we're we're already doing the plan. Yeah, and I think that's also when she realizes how that like if this is a serious enough threat that the Borg Queen is willing to negotiate that they are probably kind of on to something or close to potentially causing some actual damage. Mm-hmm. And so they they realize that they, in order to upload this virus, they have to physically be on a Borg cube. Um, and so they find the nearest Borg cube and essentially like Voyager goes and, and causes a distraction so that Janeway and Tuvok and Torres can take a shuttlecraft and sneak onto the cube. And they're going through the cube and then sort of get trapped by force fields and attacked by drones. And the last shot of the episode before going to a sort of to be continued, make sure you turn in, tune into the next episode is you see sort of 
all three of them, first Tuvok and Torres, and then sort of last Janeway, all kind of turn their heads and look at the camera as having been assimilated into being Borgs. But then also, er, right before that, though, Chakotay had said everything's going according to plan. So this is all yes. this is all part of it. Right. That they're they're, they're all they all kind of intentionally they they made it look like they didn't want to get assimilated, but they actually yeah did. And I don't know if you want if you <laughs> I presume that you don't care if i spoil this episode of voyager for you but i that's fine if i if i remember right they had some sort of like inoculation or or something ahead of time so that they essentially would seem to be assimilated but still be themselves and individuals and so you know the the next in the next episode they're you know they're running around the borg ship looking like borg but but actually had never been fully assimilated i think if i remember right like well if you can get a borg vaccine then why doesn't everyone on voyager have it and then they don't have to worry you, about you it. know it's a it's a timely moment for you to be asking that ryan um i think i think voyager had voyager had pretty significant distribution issues and what well yeah i suppose if, if anything we we know now that just because you can have a vaccine it doesn't mean that you will like there's the, the <laughs> thing is the thing is too with like a borg vaccine they probably actually do put a chip in you and so That's you know right. maybe there's a little so, bit more so there, there's a, tom paris concerned. is leading a uh a, a voyager anti-vaxxer movement yeah yeah, yeah. just um, he's in the he's in the mess uh, talking and he likes to be like listen you just got to do your own research about these right. borg it's like Borg, yeah. Getting getting assimilated is just like having the cold. That's right. It's you know your body is that's how your body builds up antibodies. <laughs> uh, this Star Trek episode podcast just got a little bit too real. Um, but yeah, but it and it I think you know it very much is one of those things that is clearly I feel like that is the ultimate sort of this was very effective the first time we did it with picard in best of both worlds so clearly it will be just as effective to do it to janeway in advertise for this episode of voyager that yeah we did we did a janeway and two other people you know we're that's what we're, we're amping it up you know like, yeah yeah it's not it's not good I um the other thing I think we didn't talk about, which I don't really think we need to talk about that much, but just like again, like I just didn't care about any of the Animatrix Zero stuff. It just doesn't make any sense, and it just is. It's, even if it did, it's just kind of boring. But then like there's this subplot where it turns out that that Seven and Axum used to have sex in Unimatrix Zero. <laughs> it seems yeah. Again, it's like what is the, like I don't like I don't know what that means, and you can't make me care like that about right. that. Like it it both both are true you know yeah it just it, it just so colossally misjudges i think like what's interesting about the borg and also i have to imagine like uh people's willingness to care about this you know i don't know yeah maybe there's some people who like this i don't know yeah i are, you mean sort of in the same way of like the when they get really into like klingon politics or something like that kind of yeah <laughs> Yeah. That, like, now, in order for this to make sense, you have to really, like, get into what a Unimatrix is within the, like, organizational structure of the computerized collective of the Borg. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, that is kind of an example, I guess. It's just that sometimes, like, Star Trek will do an episode, and I'm like, well, you know, this is not, this this just seems like it's satisfying, like, the person who's writing it only. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not... uh... Do you have any other things you want to say about, like, I have a couple of, like, just kind of notes about various things throughout, but, like, any other, like, on a overarching thoughts about No, I about think we kind of, I feel pretty well encapsulated our feelings about, like, 
this episode as a whole and both kind of what it does to the Borg and just like what it is, even just like within itself as an episode, it's not great, mm-hmm. but also, like you said, does kind of take away from what makes the Borg such a kind of unique villain mm-hmm. and threat. I, I did, and again, I think there are probably other episodes that do it better, but I do always think it's a very interesting kind of twist in Seven's character. You know, I, I think she's easily compared to like someone like Data that uh, is like, you know, learning to become more human, but that sometimes she doesn't really want to because it is like frightening and uncomfortable for like everyone else is like yeah. trying to get her to become more human. And a lot of times she like when they're like, Oh, you're cause at first they think that they don't before they realize that this is a interconnected dream in that like all Borg are sharing through mm-hmm. their network. They just think that sort of like seven has started dreaming like as part of the process of becoming, you know, like remembering what it's like to be human and they, everyone gets very excited for her and her reaction is just like, I don't like that. You need to fix me. So I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think she says to the doctor, like you must repair me or something along those lines. Um, he also reminds me a little bit more of Odo than she does of, of data sometimes because mm. Odo kind of has like this sort of similar ambivalence about uh, becoming a solid as he, as they say a lot on, on DS nine uh, that he's, he's kind of more like sometimes he's like, Oh, that'd be interesting. Or like there's parts of it that he, that he likes, but uh, he kind of also sometimes oh, humans are weird. And like you spend so much time like eating food and you know, stuff like that <laughs> where he, he just kind of seems like he's not super into it. Uh, and, but like sometimes he does like it, which I, that that's kind of more like her, where she's kind of like that's interesting, you know. But I don't know; it seems kind of complicated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is good. I mean, she's I mean she's good. Like she's good, you know. Yeah, I think we we've had a lot of like seven of nine centric episodes that we've really enjoyed, and I think there's possibility to tell good stories with that. But this is this is not one of them. Yeah, a couple more other little Borg things that I was. Or actually, not one, one, one more other little Borg thing that I think I've thought before. This is not like unique to this episode, but just it struck me this time is that you see like the shot that they like to show you of like the Borg Queen's head and shoulders being put into her robot body, mm. and her robot body has like very defined uh, breasts. And <laughs> why? Let, like the because because her robot body is not. Organic. Right, like the whole it's just point a robot of, body. The whole point of that scene is that yes, the only part of her that like they take a organic head and like part of a spine from something, and the the body is just a like machine to move it around. Yeah, and that's not a gendered thing. Like it'd be weird. If, it'd be right. weird if she also had a penis. Like it, yeah, but just why are you, you adding know? secondary sex characteristics to something that could like could really yeah. just be like two legs with a sort of space for a head on the top of it. Right, yeah. Just it just doesn't it just I don't know. It's 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 like I think I think Voyager though that is like I think one thing you can and really like all nineties Star Trek, I think you can kinda of say this, but I like especially Voyager, I think that there's sometimes a like just kind of this weird like sheen of objectification in it where it's like well, yeah. I don't understand like what's even like why this is even here like like you know again like seven seven's costume you know being so tight that it gave her back problems i think is like kind of going to be all the be the, the ultimate like sigil of that for me right but you know like obviously like deanna has that yeah but i too. was about to say um, i feel like that has its roots like that's a well-honored star trek tradition of having mm-hmm. the like attractive female character on the show that wears a completely different outfit than everyone else yeah 
uh, DS9, I think, is actually does a, quite a bit better in that score than TNG or Voyager does because, like, that DS9 is is yeah. definitely the horniest uh, Star Trek show, I think, like, by far. You really haven't seen, like, a lot of that stuff yet, but they talk about sex relatively frequently, and they, and, like, it, it's kind of like this frequently obliquely acknowledged thing that, like, Quark has sex programs on the on the hollow uh, in the hollow suites and stuff, but it's a much more like frank kind of like sex positive or like just like not really judgmental version of that. And and even like Kira, I guess, does have like a different uniform that is a little tighter. But I don't really feel like it's it's not like a sexy costume. It's just kind of like the costume yeah. she wears. And it's and it's and like also she has a different uniform because she's not. I mean, like, that. that's also, I feel like, one of the show where, like, there's actually really pretty few characters that wear Starfleet uniforms, right? Like, they kind of all have different, because so yeah. few of them are Yeah, Cisco Starfleet. and Dax and... Uh, and, like, and Bashir, I guess, right? I guess Bashir O'Brien, and, and O'Brien all yeah. wear the all wear the uniforms, yeah. And then, but maybe, then maybe more than Kira I Kira and Odo and Quark... Oh, and Worf wears the uniform. Yeah. yeah Kira okay. and Odo and Quark don't. Um, and Jake doesn't jake usually wears something that looks like it was made out of curtains um but uh another long-standing yeah, star trek uh, is, <laughs> right. is the children's fashion but yeah uh but yeah like in that show like it's i don't think that's really supposed to be like a sexy uniform it's just kind of like it is a little bit more form-fitting but it's it is basically just like the female version of what all of the male bajoran militia people wear mm, mm-hmm. so yeah i think that that show not a perfect show by any means in that regard but like it, yeah the just the the, the board queen has having like these super like kind of like cartoonishly defined breasts. I was just like, why, what is even, why is this? Right. Again, especially in a scene where like, she's like, no one is looking at her. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. she's, she's entirely just with other Borg. Yeah. That in her own mind. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about too, is that that we, there's one scene in the episode we didn't talk about that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the episode, which is the scene where Tom Paris gets re-promoted. Oh yeah. Uh, right. So he, he gets, he gets, he gets re-promoted to uh, like junior Lieutenant or something like that. Um, I think so. Yeah. And we haven't, so, we haven't watched the episode where he got demoted. Have we? Well, okay. So that's, that's what I was wondering. I was like, I was like, is this a, did he get demoted on the show or did he get, or is this like him getting re-promoted from like when he was in jail like in, at the beginning of no. the whole entire series? Yeah, no. So there, this is like, again, probably similar to the way it was for you. Like, unless you watched one specific episode of Voyager would most likely make no sense. Cause there, there is an episode about where he gets demoted like it's called i forget what it is but it's essentially it's like him in like the brig he's like sentenced to five days in the brig and got demoted for some you know thing that he did where he countermanded the orders of the captain and the story is told kind of at in sort of flashback of like he's in the brig and i think he's maybe he's writing a letter to his dad or something and like kind of telling the story of what he did and why he got demoted but yeah there's an episode where he gets demoted from lieutenant back to ensign i think for one of those like well i thought i was doing the right thing and you know yeah I, i violated the prime directive but it was only to like help these people that needed me um type of thing so that's but that's not everyone I want to talk about though is that you know so he gets repainted like whatever but then Harry Kim asks the question that we all should be asking which is that why why is he still an ensign after six years serving as the comms operator on the bridge of the Voyager I know and I know he never gets promoted on the show what is no. up with that like hashtag justice for Harry Kim like what <laughs> like that's so weird 
Yeah, I guess that's that's true. I mean, I, I don't know how much anyone really gets promoted on Voyager or like sort of what the point of it would be. I guess Well, they re-promoted um, Tom Paris. I guess though, they did like... re-promote Tom Paris. But yeah, it's it's true. Like he is kind of like the ops person, um whatever ops actually is. But uh yeah, and like is is a like bridge officer the whole time and and yep, is just always Ensign Harry Kim. Yeah, it just it just seems so uh so strange. Uh like reward him for his service. Like I feel like that does yeah. Happen occasionally on other on other shows, like uh, Cisco gets promoted from commander to captain in the course of that show. Uh, there's definitely a few promotions in like season three of Discovery. Uh, yeah, I think TNG a few times will like promote. I think yeah, I think they promote Worf at one point. Worf and like maybe Jordy. Jordy kind of bounces around, I guess though. Yeah, Jordy definitely gets promoted though at one point. I mean, obviously they he was trying because I think Ward, uh, Jordy wasn't always chief engineer, right? He was like some other things first. Yeah, he used to. Yeah, because he's he's the helmsman in the first in the first season of the show. Yeah, he wears a red red uniform. Yeah, well, yeah, and obviously they keep on trying to promote Riker to be captain of a different sure. ship. And there's even like a whole there's even like a whole bit in that uh, in that show about I think uh, Troy like takes command training like during the show like for a while. So yeah. It just it just seems so weird that um that Harry Kim never is not an ensign. Yeah, but um anyway, I mean I I, I the other, the other thing about Harry Kim is that like we've been doing this show for two years and we've seen more episodes of Voyager than we have of any of the other shows and I still don't really know anything about him like <laughs> so maybe I don't know maybe he doesn't deserve it uh but um yeah just he he definitely I feel like is like the least out of like any out of like any uh Star Trek show I can't think of like another main character that like I feel is like less developed you know may, maybe like Uhura like you know or yeah I was know. about to say some of the I feel like some of the like TOS like I mean even Sulu like seems cool but doesn't really do much yeah but I don't know I mean like you know that he's like in defensing though like uh, you get like a little <laughs> yes. bit I, yeah that's fair I, I think yeah I mean I think that like um George Takei really just like puts a lot into that performance so even when he doesn't want to you kind of feel like you get a sense of who that character is yeah I, I mean honestly though we're you know the next episode we're gonna do spoiler alert is a TOS episode and I I feel like Uhura gets like one scene in that where I'm like oh I feel like I know more about what this character's deal is than I have ever felt that's true uhura's one Very scene good. in that is is quite good like very yeah. well acted by michelle nichols yeah uh, which we'll but. get to but um uh the yeah yeah harry kim is kind of the like sidekick of the whole ship yeah type of character um he he has some episodes i feel that are like harry kim centric well i, I look forward um, to that because i want to know what his deal is and it still just seems like you know like if you i feel like if you do your job in in like an organization like that like just eventually like after six years or whatever you'd get promoted like yeah i feel like that's usually well, so how it I, works so. i had read a story this may not be the best time for it maybe i should save this for a different episode but apparently in like season three or four whenever they um whenever uh kess left the show and i think it was around the same time they brought on seven of nine and they were like you know we felt like we needed to like kind of mix up the characters a little bit and there were too many people on the show and they were apparently planning on killing off harry kim and Mm -hmm. then garrett wang the actor who plays him was like named one of people magazine or some 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 list of like the 50 most attractive people in the united states today (laughs) and so they kept him on the show and they took kess off instead Mm. um that's hmm. I don't think that he's not handsome, but it's a it's an interesting choice. I mean, like again, I don't know that Star Trek is like the best place to show that off. Yeah, you know, comparatively. But anyway, we uh, 
Yeah, we've kind of gone off the rails on this one a little bit, I feel like. <laughs> well, I, I don't have anything else. Do you? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. So, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. We come out uh, every other week. So, uh, the next episode we're going to be doing is coming out, coming out in two weeks. And we're going to do uh, kind of another one of those weird coincidence things that happen with our uh, random number generator. Uh, two episodes after doing Wrath of Khan, we are going to do Space Seed, which is the first appearance of Khan. And it's uh, the original series, season one, episode... 23 so i'm excited to do that one um so you can yeah. come back and listen to that um in the meantime you can listen to the sister shows that we have on our uh, on the kaleidoscope media network there's here's johnny which is a horror podcast there's that's not how science works which is a science and pop culture podcast they kind of come out infrequently these days but i did just see like just this week that we're recording um that they had a new episode drop which will be a, a, a while for you guys listening to the show but I think they are in production again, or at least they were. That's good. Um, so so there's, there's new stuff out there. And then uh, there's also Wizard Studies, which is a Harry Potter podcast. And uh, so check out all those shows if you're interested in any of those things. And um, you know, for us, you can email us at outofcontracts@gmail.com. You can visit our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Contracts, which is C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S. So yeah, until next time, we'll see you again when we're recording Space Seed. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Monsters are as old as tales themselves, but what makes those stories fit into the kaiju genre and just how scary can they be? Larry and Justin are pursuing this very knowledge on the Here's Johnny podcast, a horror show that arrives every week, just like your favorite radio drama, but instantly through forbidden sciences known as Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. There are a ton of kaiju out there to learn about. Just listen to your local emergency officials and stay out of their paths. Wait, say that again? Uh, sorry, folks. I'm getting a message from our staff. Uh, folks, we're getting reports that a massive creature has just risen off the coast of this station and is heading this way. Please follow evacuation protocol and... Listen to the Here's Johnny podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.